Welcome to Weekend Bite, presented by Wall Street Breakfast. And this weekend only, Seeking Alpha is running a 50% off sale on our premium subscription. Just head to SeekingAlpha.com to learn more. Recession concerns are mounting and fuel continues to be the hot topic around the globe. With fear as the dominant emotion moving the indices, today's guest specializes in maximizing returns in volatile markets. I'm Leslie Osmond, and joining us today is Michael Guyad. He's a CFA award-winning portfolio manager and publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Welcome, Michael. It's great to have you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thank you. You said to kill it in the stock market, you have to not get killed. I love that expression. And the markets and investors are clearly getting crushed. Because you specialize in tactical risk-on, risk-off investments, what's your go-to strategy in navigating the market roller coaster ride? Well, so a couple things. To uh, to kill it in the stock market, you have to not get killed on average. Uh, and unfortunately, alluding to your point, the dilemma this year has been not that you've been getting killed in the stock market, it's that you've been getting killed in the bond market, right? Because the drawdown in treasuries, which in my world is everything in terms of the risk-off safe haven play, has been in many ways larger than the drawdown in equities, right? So when you're in an environment, yes, it's true, you know, to kill in the stock market, you have to not get killed. The reality is you're going to have plenty of times sometimes where the brakes don't seem to work and you're going to go through some kind of a, a big decline. That's certainly been the case with with my own strategies. But what I would say about this environment is that this is very much an anomaly in the way that markets have interacted with each other, in the way that volatility has correlated across the board in most asset classes, with the exception of commodities, which we'll get into. And the question every investor has to ask themselves uh, is, uh, is this time different in terms of these relationships, in terms of diversification, in terms of how to think about risk management? Um, and it's different until it isn't, right? In other words, there will always be these periods where an approach is desynced. God knows from a risk on risk off perspective, you know, my world has been desynced because this environment has been so wildly challenging. But sometimes the best thing to do when you're in these periods is just to survive long enough to get out of it. And what I mean by that is nobody really knows when this um, this environment's going to change. We can say with some degree of certainty every day that goes by, you're closer to the end of of this current set of circumstances. But nobody knows when the cycle reverts back to the way it used to be. And all that means, I think, from a practicality standpoint for investors and traders is you have to simply uh, trade smaller, invest smaller, think about diversifying more, and don't get too overly convinced with any investment thesis. Because time and time again, it's been proven that if you have too much conviction and you're too in your own echo chambers around your investment thesis, you end up probably suffering losses soon. And you talk a lot about risk on, risk off, and you have a, a several strategies RORO, the ticker stands for risk on risk off. Then we have ATAX and JOJO, funds that you manage. Given the market and the volatility surrounding treasuries and high yield bonds that you just touched on, and as credit spreads have significantly widened year to date, talk to us a little bit about your funds, particularly JOJO, which appears to be a credit rotation ETF rotating between high yield and long duration treasury ETFs. Yeah, I appreciate that. And the, um, Look, I have skin in the game, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I not only do the research they put out there, but yeah, I've got my own capital risk launching these funds. And all three of my funds, ATAX, Roro, Jojo, which you see in the background, they're um, they're all risk on, risk off strategies. They all have different signals. They're all trying to get to the same place of avoiding big drawdowns in equities. Now, again, the problem this year that I've been faced with, what I've called hell on Twitter, is that 
uh, risk off has not acted risk off. All three funds rely on treasuries to be the beneficiary when you're in high volatility uh, periods for equities. Now, the um, Roro in particular has gotten uh, pretty badly hit, but might be having a nice comeback as of late, again, because of that treasury trade. Now, you mentioned credit spreads. Now, credit spreads, yes, they've widened, but only recently have they had some kind of widening. You know, A good chunk of this initial bond market sell-off was much more duration than credit spread widening risk, default risk premiums increasing within the bond market, which is in of itself very unusual in the way this bond market collapse uh, played out. But JoJo's designed to play off of credit spreads widening, meaning that if you want to apply risk on, risk off uh, thinking to the bond market, it's very simple. Risk on is high yield junk debt. Risk off is still treasuries. Why? Because usually when you're in these high volatility periods for equities and the VIX spikes, you see credit spreads widen. Junk debt becomes junkier. High yield becomes higher yielding. Uh, and treasuries tend to benefit. Now, I haven't really had one of those key credit event type of junctures for JoJo to really stand out as a bond strategy. Um, but these things will come at some point. I have no idea when. And I've designed my funds to take advantage of those dislocations, even though they're in dislocations in their own ways right now. So are you risk on or risk off? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> and I'll tell you why I say that. So the, the, the strategies are extremely active, right? So the turnover is well north of a thousand percent because the anomalies tend to live in the short term and those that might scratch your head saying seeing that uh, i encourage you to actually keep an open mind read the underlying research that goes into a lot of the strategies that i run that goes into the lead lag report itself as well it's all quant based rules based it's not based on my opinion um but you know the main signals i'm known for which are utilities which is a signal used in the case of the mutual fund and jojo treasuries signal used in the mutual fund not jojo and lumber to gold, which is the signal used for Roro, all of them are different signals. All of them tend to correlate in terms of being risk off when you're in a high volatility, uh, high risk period. But in between, there will be periods where one fund is risk on, the other one's risk off. Now, that's okay, right? Because all that means is that if you're in a period where things are not necessarily aligning in terms of everything being risk off, it would suggest stocks and bonds might both be okay because the expression of risk off is bonds, it's treasuries, right? So when I say yes, I was being tongue-in-cheek, but the reality is the funds are having different positions as we speak. I don't know how that's going to be by the end of the week or by next week. When it's all rules-based, it's not based on your opinion. It's based on following the the output, right? And and the output, again, like I've said, has not been phenomenal this year. But I have to tell you, it's funny that um, people always seem to want to look to the right of the equal sign and not to the left. They always want to look at the outcome and not the process, and just because you did not get the outcome that you were hoping for in the single roll of the die does not mean you stop rolling. And it seems like a lot of people aren't getting the outcome that they necessarily want. You know, a lot of people are anticipating that the markets are going to crash or have already gotten to that point um, that we may see a recession. What do you think? Have we reached the bottom or are we just getting started? So I always go back to it's always about um, path, not prediction. It's the way that things play out between two endpoints. Look, I, I'm very much of the of the mindset that I think the conditions favor lower equity prices, lower risk assets longer term, because I think this housing deceleration is very early, just getting started. And that's going to be a multi, conceivably a multi-year headwind for risk-seeking behavior, because housing tends to be the, the leading indicator for uh, recessions and expansions. So from that standpoint, I think housing has a lot more to go, and that would argue that stocks probably can go lower. But between that then and now, again, I go path versus prediction. 
yeah, you can have one of these rip your face off rallies seemingly out of nowhere. You can have these these melt ups, you know, based on sentiment being so extreme in both stocks and bonds at the same time that uh, it could surprise people before ultimately having lower lows, right? I mean, bear markets are notorious for these 10, 15, 20% moves that make people think that the bear market's over when in reality, it's just a, a counter trend rally in the context of, you know, a broader decline. So I think risk is still unequivocally there, but I would argue that there's probably a, a tactical moment coming where you can make some money back in equities, back in bonds, uh, but just be careful of your time frame there because I don't know how long that would last. And because you mentioned melt up, you know, a lot of people have gone to cash out of fear. Um, billionaire investor Ray Dalio says that cash is trash. What are your thoughts about setting more cash aside as a cushion today and opportunity to capitalize later uh, if there perhaps is a rally or a melt up? The, the thing is, I mean, the, the truth is the only the best time to have been in cash was really starting February of 2021, because that's when breath started weakening as much as the broader averages kept on running. The vast majority of stocks started weakening, really going back to well over a year at this point. So, you know, personally, I don't view cash as an asset class. I view it as a residual of the investment process because there's a false sense of confidence with cash uh, because the reality is you're still losing money with cash. Right. Inflation is is still eating away at that, obviously a lot less than had you put it at risk. But the, the problem with cash is that cash doesn't give you even a chance at momentum, even a chance at compounding. Right? I understand the argument of dry powder, but in today's world of low commissions, okay, then just sell your one position and then buy buy something else, right? So I think it's a little bit late in the game to argue for cash. But by the way, all that cash that you're talk, you talked about, that seems like even more reason for why there should be some kind of a melt-up scenario, that there could be this upside catalyst surprise because the sentiment is so dark. What do people do when they're bearish? They sit in cash. They end up not having too much at risk. And if too many people are like that, well, now that's a lot of dry powder for the entire asset class of stocks and asset class of bonds to suddenly be a, a source of flows, right? So I, I think you want to be very careful around how careful you want to be after things have already been so decimated this year. And given the slowing economic growth, what industries and sectors do you find most attractive? And are there some that you're, that you're avoiding? Yeah, so I mean, my world is much more on the relative momentum perspective. Look, I, I, I do think energy keeps on probably eating tech's lunch, right? From a longer term perspective, um, because you know there is underinvestment and uh, in energy, there's overinvestment in technology. Certainly from a market cap perspective, um, but commodities like everything else can be very volatile, and you can have some very sharp about face declines and periods of weakness. Do you think they've peaked commodities? I think it's possible that that peak inflation um, probably is here. And I say that because what's missed in all this talk about inflation is that the bespoke had a great piece on this. The the uh, total amount of market cap loss in stocks and bonds this year is $14 trillion. So the total value of stocks and bonds has dropped around $14 trillion. That's one and a half times the Fed's balance sheet. So it's like whenever people say the Fed controls the market, it's like, well, who's really controlling whom here, right? When the market's already evaporated so much wealth from the system. So I say I, I reference that in the context of inflation because that has to have a very severe impact on inflation. That will have a big impact on commodities. And you're seeing a lot of commodities like copper in particular, right, have, have uh, sold off pretty, pretty meaningfully. Mm -hmm. Oil may be the last to drop. But 
I would view that more as a correction as opposed to a trend change, right, in the commodity movement. Because, again, these these supply uh, underinvestment issues are are still very real, and that's going to take a while to to resolve. It's been great having you here. Any fun Fourth of July plans this weekend? I'm just glad the market is closed. <laughs> Thanks for that, Michael. Award-winning portfolio manager, Michael Guyad, CFA and publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Take care. Appreciate it. Next up, we have Kim Khan for Catalyst Watch. Hey, um, next week we've got, as you said, the shortened 4th of July holiday week. So it's not really a packed calendar. Um, it's the last week before we really get into some serious earnings. But we do have the payrolls report, and that's going to be most of the attention on Friday. Um, economists are looking for about 290,000, 300,000 in rise in payrolls. Um, jobless rates remain the same at 3.6%. There'll be a lot of attention on um, the average hourly earnings, um, expecting a 0 0.3, 0.4% rise. Um, this is going to be a big one in as much as you're going to look for a kind of a classic Goldilocks number, I think, if you're a stock investor. Um, if you're wondering what a classic Goldilocks number looks like, I hardly recommend that you stream the Spike Lee movie, 25th Hour. There's an amazing scene there where they're trading floor and they're all watching the payrolls report and you want it not too hot and not too cold. I mean, too hot, the Fed comes in even stronger into play. Too cold, there's been enough recession talk that people are saying, hey, if we get in contraction and employment, we're already in recession. So if we get somewhere around the 100,000, 120,000 rise, I think that's gonna be the best for stocks. Great insights, Kim. How about you? Any fun 4th of July plans? Well, I'm going to be streaming 4th of July movies since I'm in, in exile at the moment. And of course, my favorite one is always the best 4th of July movie, Jaws. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us on Weekend Bite. Everyone enjoy your weekend.